Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Every Week is Chaos. And we're back with one of the show's best friends in the world. We have Connor. Connor, how are you doing today? I am absolutely fantastic today. It is always a good day when I am on Every Week is Chaos. I know. Now we're going to, but our viewer base is going to drop by at least a third as a result because there will be no need for you to watch the podcast you're already on. Yes, exactly. That's true. Lorenzo unfortunately can't be with us because he's doing like important stuff or like driving to another state. I don't know. Excuses, right? But <laughs> we got we got Connor here because you know, when we can't have our favorite Italian in the world, we go for another Irishman, right? Yes. The great Lorenzo replacement theory. <laughs> <laughs> to Lorenzo's credit, he did offer to like call in from the car, and we figured that wouldn't be good audio. But like, he did make an effort to not drop out. You know, right? Just uh, <laughs> what can you do? We we already know the consequences of Lorenzo doing an episode in a vehicle again. Yes. Although the bummer about it not having Lorenzo is he and I don't get to make you deeply uncomfortable for a half an hour while we pretend to have a podcast. (laughs) Dude, I don't know what it is, but no, that analogy that Lorenzo came up with where it's I'm just the guy sitting in a room with two people waving guns in the air. Not a more fitting analogy (laughs) to dealing with you two. (laughs) All right. So because we're... Last episode, we talked to Paz from every from Timeline Earth, and so we didn't really delve into the news. And so I want to take a chance and talk about more of this stuff, the, the events that we didn't get to discuss in the last episode that have come to, to come to revelation, right? And I figure, who better to talk about Meatball Ron with than the guy who I did a podcast episode with back on my old podcast, which will go unnamed, uh, who made the case for Ron DeSantis. But unfortunately, Meatball Ron dropped out. <laughs> After Iowa and getting absolutely eviscerated, he decided, oh, you know what? Maybe this maybe this isn't the strategy to go. And he suspended his campaign. What what are your what are your thoughts, Connor? It it had been long since time for him to drop out. I love Ron. I, I, I always have. He had completely fallen apart in the primary. There, there, it's been a long time since a path to victory was possible. And I mean, if you look at my own tweets, I've been sitting there coping towards the end of the his slow decline. And I really tried to imagine the path of victory, but it's it's been a long time since he had any possible path. It was getting to the point where if they arrested Trump outright and threw him in a cell, he still was going to beat Ron. Like there was just, there was nothing left to be done. I think Michael Knowles says it better than anybody that Ron's pitch was I'm Trump without the baggage. The problem is no one actually wants Trump without the baggage. People that like Trump don't mind the baggage and people that don't like Trump don't want anything remotely like him. And as a result, the number of people who actually had an appeal to I'm Trump without the baggage was next to nothing. Yeah. And I, and and I showed think, in Iowa when Trump won and they called it when they were reporting less than 1%. Yeah, man, that was wild to see. But it's, uh, I, I don't know. 
I, I think there was a path to victory for DeSantis if you really went for like the attack from the right angle. But the problem is Trump wasn't there to criticize. Trump didn't show up to the bait. And why should Trump show up to the bait? There was no reason for him to. He can literally just campaign on they stole this from us last year. Well, not last year, in 2020. We're going to get it back, and we're going to fix all the garbage. He didn't need to show up for a debate to defend his record or anything. Yeah, and, and also actually the culture war stuff would have been an awesome hitting point for Ron to attack Trump from the right on. Trump has criticized DeSantis for being too hard on abortion. Trump's been very comfortable with the LGBTQ stuff, and there are things that the right and the Republican primary would have been pissed about, but without a debate, Ron can say that he's said that all they want. Trump supporters are not going to be affected by an opponent saying he said that. Ron had to get Trump to keep saying those things. And Trump had so much of a lead that there was just never a platform for Trump to do that from. Right. And it just... And also, it was really over for him when he debated Newsom. There was absolutely no reason to do that. Yeah, I didn't actually get the chance to watch that debate, but did you watch it at all? I, I've seen bits of it. There's no reason to watch it. There was it was two guys who aren't running for president. There was it was just a weird thing that was a kickoff for Newsom to launch a presidential campaign if he decided it was worthwhile, which I suppose he didn't. And it in no way could have benefited. Every person in the Republican primary agrees Ron DeSantis is better than Gavin Newsom. Proving he's better than Gavin Newsom proved nothing to any person in America that could vote in the Republican primary. Yeah, and I, I just... DeSantis... That was when it just ended for me. Not ended. I mean, I still always had my hope, but that was when I was just like, he had run out of ideas, and that was all he was... It was just... It was completely over when he tried that. Yeah, and, and DeSantis's like campaign just lacked all energy. There was nothing really behind it at all. I have to say, and again, this is a little bit me coping because I or not me coping, but I've I coped my way through his campaign trying to claim otherwise. But I used to so I worked for the Florida House of Representatives, and we used to routinely describe DeSantis as our guy. Uh, he's very on the spectrum like he and it showed in his inability to smile. And we used to always say in his time as governor that he couldn't smile and that he didn't smile and that his biggest flaw as a politician was that he didn't smile. And I think some advisor told him this and was like, dude, you need to be smiling, except they'd never taught him how to. But he was always I I met DeSantis maybe a dozen times. He's a really awkward dude. And in Florida, he was able to overcome that by being the best governor ever. The problem is people outside of Florida don't actually see a lot of the action he takes. You have to be good at more than legislative action to win a campaign. And he just isn't. He is as awkward and as autistic as it gets. I really convinced myself that that wouldn't matter when he ran for president because I liked the guy and I was just so wrong. I mean, he, he could not overcome his autism for this campaign. 
also the Twitter space thing. Like there was nothing more terminally online and more awkward than a Twitter space that just came across as like, this is catered in every way. There was nobody, nobody from the actual audience was allowed to ask questions or, or critique or offer any input at all. It was all just like what clearly came across as a scripted people coming onto this Twitter space, right? Because, you know, Twitter's supposed to be the platform for the people now for us to criticize and talk to our politicians and everything. But you know what? It didn't do that when he, well, when he hopped into his fair, Twitter space. And it just the, came across as inorganic and scripted and weird. The flip side of that, though, is that if he he had to behave differently and he had to try weird things in order to have any... I mean, from the beginning, he was like 30 points below Trump. If he didn't do weird stuff that had high risk, high reward, he wasn't ever going to have a shot at it. He still didn't have a shot at it. it. Never, He never came close. But I give him a little credit on the Twitter space just because it was different and he had to do something different and hope that he would hit the jackpot. Yeah. Do you... Do you think that he would accept being the vice presidential candidate. Like, I don't see Trump offering it to him after all of this. The to be fair, he was pretty scathing of like Ted Cruz and everything. And they became, I guess, enough of allies. But do you think DeSantis would accept like being Trump vice isn't president? Offer it. I think if he did offer it, DeSantis would probably accept at the beginning of his campaign, I would have said DeSantis wouldn't because the vice president isn't actually anything. There's no reason for him to do it. There's nothing for him to get out of it. After his campaign, seeing his ability to return to the establishment type of guy, he's still obviously, and in fact, ever since his campaign's ended as governor, he's been good again the minute he stopped campaigning. But Seeing his ability to rub noses with the establishment, I think he would gladly take it just to be the vice president and try and be next in line. That being said, as the vice president, he it would depend on what his vice presidency looked like. If he was your standard vice president where it's kind of a nothing made up job, he it would be worthless for him because the vice president's main role is just to be an extra face for the president. And we learned in this campaign that his social skills and charisma were not his selling point. And if his job is just to be another talking point for the president, he's going to be bad at that. His only scenario he'd be good as a president is if he worked out a deal with Trump like Dick Cheney had with Bush where he got given X, Y, and Z, where it was like, okay, I'll take over these categories and I'll work with these because DeSantis is capable of managing very well. And he, granted, his issues would probably be foreign policy, which are the things he's worst on. But he is a strong leader and could take actions if they gave him that kind of deal. But that is never going to happen again. His presidency would look a lot more like Kamala Harris's and he would look about as awkward as Kamala Harris taking the mic every time. Yeah, I I, I honestly th would be optimistic about Ron being like the vice president if he ever got the chance. But I don't I don't realistically see it happening. I think Trump saw him running as like some act of betrayal or whatever as ra as irrational, as irrational as that is, because we're dealing with Donald Trump. But I think Ron would be. Very good, because because right now Trump is like a ham-fisted like infant, and Trump wants to just smash things, and he needs a steady ha hand to guide him 
in what he's doing and who better than a, than an autistic um like policy dork to guide his hand in terms of like gutting the federal bureaucracy yeah but and I like don't think and, and at the very least gonna be if people president. are if, if people were wary about DeSantis's foreign policy at least as vice president he doesn't really get much of a say in foreign policy and so I I was honestly like I thought before DeSantis announced, I thought he would be the perfect vice presidential candidate for Trump. And right now, because it seems like I think DeSantis is really well among suburban women, like, you know, like standard moms and everything, right? We're worried about their kids and gender ideology and school boards and all this crap. Like, he seems like a good candidate to appeal to those people. And I think that would have helped Trump because those are the people who are most wary of Donald Trump. Yeah, at the end of the day, though, I just – I don't think Trump's going to take his advice from his vice president. I think whoever it is that's guiding his hand is going to have a more background position. I mean, even like Rand Paul, who was just completely elsewhere and just was speaking – I think Ron I think Ron DeSantis could guide his hand more from the governor's desk than from the vice president's desk. Um, I loosely remember the, you, you know, saying – what I I remember when we did the podcast the very first time I I chatted with you on a podcast you talked about Rand Paul being able to guide Trump's hand better than DeSantis was I like I distinctly remember this maybe this is stupid deja vu no I believe you I've probably said that before and I think he was able to guide it better than DeSantis would be able to as a vice president um I, at the end of the day though I don't think Trump's vice president is going to play much of a role at all. Trump is a big ego guy. He wants to start. He wants to be the star. He doesn't need the votes that some different vice. He's dominated this primary, and at the end of the day, I don't think a vice president's going to make that much of a difference either way. His vice president won't really matter, and as such, he's not going to take that much guidance from them. That's my guess, at least. What do you what do you think about Ramaswamy? Because he also dropped out. Like he wasn't running for uh he wasn't running for president. He was running for like a cabinet position the entire time because he was refusing to attack Trump. And if you're actually playing politics, fun, fun fact, you kind of have to attack the front runner if you want to be if you want to be relevant and seem like you're actually vying for the office. I I honestly think he was smart not to attack the front runner because that we didn't have a primary this year. Trump was effectively the incumbent. He was, like you said, he was running for a cabinet position. He's not going to get vice president, but he'll get something good enough. I never really liked him. I thought he was very sneaky in the way he would phrase things. He'd always tweet, uh, the number one thing we need to know is God is real, but was very hesitant to say what God that is or who God is. He kind of just says buzzwords very well. So I never I never totally loved Vivek because he just seemed a little sneaky to me. Uh, but so are all of them. He'll he'll have some good enough cabinet position and good for him. I mean, he did a really good job at going from someone most people in America wouldn't have been able to even care to try and pronounce his name to being a household name who will likely have a high position. And I, that's, it's, I don't think it's VP because like I said, I don't think Trump needs someone who will bring him anything in his VP. 
uh not bring him anything but i don't think he needs like a strong voice he'll he'll have some yes man in at vp vivek gets something or other has his fun and works his way through what he needs to work through i did like the convergentiles podcast guys said that they think vivek would have done a lot better if trump hadn't been in office and i think that's very i think it was those guys it might have been timeline earth it was one of those two um, but someone said they would have done a lot better if uh, or Vivek would have done a lot better if Trump wasn't in office or not in office, wasn't in the campaign. Because the reality is what a lot of people liked about Vivek is that he is that same kind of businessman personality as Trump. And it makes him genuine. He doesn't have the scripted answers that Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley have. He's very off the cuff. And it showed in like that one moment where he just called Nikki Haley out and was like, name three counties or name three places you want to have children die in or whatever. And she couldn't do it. He's very comfortable just talking. And that's what makes Trump so likable. He's his genuine self and he's comfortable talking in a world where Trump isn't taking everyone who reacts well to that. I actually think Vivek does do a much better job. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. But yeah, I, I mean, I just don't think Ramaswamy was running. Like, I, no, I, I, was. I yeah, and I think I've been consistent about this. If you go back we were, to, if you go back we to old yeah, if you go back to the old, old episodes of the show, like, I, I've been adamant about this. Ramaswamy wasn't running, wasn't running at all. And I honestly, like, for some reason, Trump attacked Vivek a little bit. And then I thought it was like I honestly think thought that that when he was like, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go and go back and, and rebuke Trump. Like I, I think that looked bad to be honest. Kind of like when Ted, when like Trump attacked Ted Cruz's wife and he didn't do anything about it. Like that just comes across bad, dude. I don't know. I think it would have come across bad if anyone believed he was running. But from the get-go, he wasn't running, and I I don't think anyone really thought otherwise. Okay, yeah, that's fair. But you know, you know what we can all <laughs> unite around, to say the least. Yeah, what's that? Everyone. Oh, yeah. I told you yesterday. I'm ready to say something about the presidential race. I've had a long res relationship with Donald Trump, and there's a lot to like there. I'm also a big fan of a lot of the fiscal. Okay, but I I have to say this because I'm sure everyone knows what video we're playing right now. But like Rand Paul's glasses are crooked, and that bothers me to no end. Like I, like I don't like how slanted it is, and it looks like you know the stupid edited like sunglasses where they throw a joint in someone's mouth in the memes. Like it looks like that. I will say I uh, I have taught elementary school and my sunglasses are always broken so i'm almost always wearing crooked glasses he may not have quite that excuse but i respect a man going out in crooked glasses because i'm one of them rand rand he can get away with the crooked sunglasses not because they're crooked he's not crooked like hillary he hillary yes. already took that nickname and so rand can get away with it he can get away with it so my where are you rand paul rand, you're in though. fourth place you're not even relevant I was talking to Ron Paul about his son, Rand, and Ron Paul was complaining about all the libertarians who idolize him and worship him. And I said, well, you know, Ron, I'm going to be honest with you. I really would have been one of those guys. I said, the only reason I don't idolize you is that you had the audacity to send your son to Baylor. 
And Ron said back to me, and this is the reason I do effectively idolize him because what a great man. Ron said back, is that where Rand went? We hate the universities so much. I don't think he even remembers where he went. <laughs> nice. And to be fair, Rand left. He did not graduate from there. He went to Duke, which gives him some bonus points. Okay, fair enough. See, my favorite but thing. I love that. About... Rome was just like, we don't even know. My my one of my favorite moments in the 2016 debates was when Rand Paul was criticizing Donald Trump for I, I can't do a Rand Paul impression yet. I'll I'll work on it. But he was criticizing him for for Donald Trump just being like he's He's not serious. He's fundamentally unserious. And and Trump was like, I've never once attacked Rand Paul on his looks. I can't believe you would do that. And I mean, believe me, there's a lot of material to work with there. Oh man. I miss oh. I miss Trump on the debate stage. I, I know miss he, him was so a, much. he was a he was a mat a a character like none other on the debate, especially in the 2016. 2020, he was less than he was in 16 just because it was coming a little less out of left field he was still great then but 2016 trump was just a different animal oh man like i could i could do an entire episode just reacting to his great riffs but anyways let's let's continue with this this video conservatism of ron DeSantis. i think vivek ramaswamy has been a, an important voice also have listened to and met with the independent bobby kennedy I'm not yet Ugh. ready to make a decision, but I am ready to make a decision on someone who I cannot support. So I'm announcing this morning that I'm Never Nikki. And if you go to nevernikki.net, you can let her know that you're not a supporter either. I don't think any informed or knowledgeable libertarian or conservative should support Nikki Haley. I've seen her attitude towards our, invent our interventions overseas. I've seen her involvement in the military industrial complex $8 million being paid to become part of the team. But I've also seen her indicate that she thinks you should be registered to use the internet, that people posting ideas anonymously. I think she fails to understand that our Republic was founded upon people like Ben Franklin, Sam Adams, Madison, John Jay and others. Okay. Well, we get the point, but I'm also wondering, he has this little lapel pin, right? And it's got a second flag on there. And I'm trying to figure out, what this other flag is is I that kentucky's flag okay i mean yeah i was like that doesn't look like a ukraine one there's not Kentucky's enough, like, flag is blue. blue with a little white circle in it okay. yeah that that looks like kentucky to me okay i was about to say rand you better not well, be rand one Paul is not gonna have an israel ukraine flag on his pin so I, the, it's got to be kentucky Okay. Well, I'll trust him on this respect. But yeah, so his entire bit is he basically launched a campaign to say no to Nikki Haley, of all people. This, I think, was a really good move. It's kind of a boring move. When he announced the night before that he had an announcement about the presidential campaign, and he came out and it was this, it it was underwhelming and boring. Like, I, I didn't know what it was going to be, but I, I was hoping it'd be more exciting than this. But from a not exciting, just strictly, like, him being a person with incentives to follow. It was a clever move because now when he goes to little like libertarian events in his own district or his own state, I guess he's a Senator in his own state, he goes and tries to get the libertarian support. He can stand up and say, Oh, I never endorsed Trump. I didn't like X, Y, and Z. But at the same time, when he needs to go talk to Trump, when he's president and make a deal, 
You can say, look what I did against your opponent. I was always with you. I was never Nikki. And he gets to kind of, it's the, the always sunny Mac meme where it's, I'm playing both sides. This way I always come out on top. He endorsed, I mean, when there were only two people, I mean, I guess Vivek and Ron were still in the debate or in the, in the primary, but we all knew it was more or less coming down to Trump, uh, Trump and Nikki being the last two left. And he more or less just said in this two person primary, I'm against one, which is effectively endorsing Donald Trump, but it does it in a way that he gets to keep his plausible deniability. And like on top of it, he loses nothing. No one who would be offended by him launching a never Nikki campaign was voting for Rand Paul anyway, that he pisses off no one that actually matters to him. And he gets to garner support from a couple different groups coming at it with different angles. Yeah, that's a, that's a good assessment. I just thought it was funny. And I mean, he, he, I, I didn't actually go to the website that he clicked on. Well, that he was referencing. I don't know if it was some like donation paid donation campaign page thing, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with right now. I'm okay with, with not voting for Nikki Haley. And I, I mean, I, I think that honestly, People, I think there's a lot of cope going around. I think people are saying, like, I did a little poll a while back on Twitter. Like, do you think Trump having Nikki Haley on the ticket would be beneficial, or 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 do you think it would hurt his reelection chances? And I think that honestly, Nikki Haley would probably help with his reelection chances. Not to say that I like Nikki Haley or would vote for him if he had Nikki Haley on the ballot, but. I uh, I don't think anyone that would be more inclined to vote for someone because they had Nikki Haley is ever going to vote for Donald Trump, no matter whether she's vice president or not. Also, the Never Nikki website is fantastic. It is literally just a link to that video with a couple words about it, a collection of lists for him to ex- or uh, sign the petition for him to expand his email list, and then T-shirt sales of a shirt that says never Nikki with Nikki crossed out. And if you buy the shirt, it's $40 for a shirt. And it comes with a donate to Rand Paul's campaign fund or whatever option. So it's literally just fundraising, but in a way that people who don't care about Rand Paul will also donate effectively. And it's also just hilarious to open the link right to just his video with Nikki Haley looking like disapprovingly off on the side. <laughs> this is a good grift, Durand. This is a good I was one. Say, that's ex- it's a great grift. Now, I'm, I'm curious. Why do you think Massey endorsed um, DeSantis? Um, I actually don't know. I, I'm friends with some of Massey's old staffers that I could ask, or maybe current staffers. I can't remember if they are or not what they do now. Um, I would guess a big part of it is that Massey is autistic like the rest of us and was not playing the political game. He thought DeSantis was the best bet, so he ran with DeSantis. Uh, there's another possibility Massey might have known DeSantis. Um, but I think the other thing is Massey has never exactly been in, like, the list of people Trump is fond of, and he's never been fond of Trump. Like, obviously he'll, he'll work with him to the extent possible, but his whole libertarian shtick has always put him in less than good graces with the Trump camp. 
And I figure if he's not in the camp in that camp anyway, try and snag some more support being the guy who supported DeSantis. I don't actually know the answer to that, though. I know some yeah. people I could ask, but I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, it just it, it hasn't quite added up to me because like all of like the meaningful actions that Massey does in Congress are a lot of them really have to do with foreign policy stuff and just the big the big qualm like that libertarians had with with um Santos was the foreign policy angle. And so I just thought it was incredibly weird like does Massey know something we don't know about whether or not to like DeSantis is or is not indeed the war hawk that people thought I, he was. I think after his campaign, he pretty much proved the libertarians right on that one. They all bend over for Israel, but DeSantis bent over a couple extra inches just to really get ready for him. Um, and then Nikki, it, I, the it might honestly, it might just come down to COVID. DeSantis was the best governor on what was the most important issue for libertarians at the time. It might be as simple as that, that like he just was the best on that. And they're all pretty bad on foreign policy, even if DeSantis is a little worse than Trump, maybe. They're all pretty bad on that, whereas DeSantis was excellent on COVID. So he might have just said, look, here's what we've got. I'm running with him. Okay. Yeah, that's I fair. don't know though. That's interesting. That's a good point. Yeah. I don't know. I'd love to pick his brain sometime because I I mean I have a lot of respect for Massey and a lot of things. And so, you know, I I I don't know. I don't know what to do. I thought it was interesting with the never Nikki thing. I saw some like really autistic like foreign policy first libertarians who are going after Rand Paul. Because of this, he was like, you won't say anything about Gaza or Palestine or condemn Israel. And it's like, what more do you want from Rand Paul here? What more do you want? He's a senator. So there's obviously some constraints here about some acceptable behaviors and positions you're supposed to have. If you want to be reelected as a senator. And then two, he's literally condemning Nikki Haley. What yep. more do you people want from On him? Top of it, I have to. I, I mean, I guess I believe them that he hasn't. If they're whining, I'm sure he hasn't said something. But I have to believe if any kind of bill supporting or funding those things came by his desk, he'd vote no. Like, I see no scenario that he was out fighting that fight. On the, like, that's that's just so. I mean, to this day. Ben Shapiro complains about Rand's dad calling him an anti-Semite because of his lack of support for Israel. I'm Rand is not some Israel-loving war hawk. Like, that's just not who... To sit here and say that he won't say anything about that just feels incredibly odd. Because maybe he hasn't said something explicitly. But I... I don't know. He's he's set his record in the foreign policy department pretty clearly from the get go. Yeah, I don't know. It just it further cements my just increasingly growing frustrations with foreign policy first libertarians who die on this hill that if you don't make your number one issue at any given time, this little this thing that's going on halfway across the globe, then you're automatically bad and you're complicit because you're not saying something like i'm just i'm growing increasingly just oh with these people and my thing is they're probably right like i mean honestly i'm not gonna sit here and say that what they're saying they're probably right 
but it is very difficult just as a human being to be that motivated by something that you can't really connect with. This all being said, the one foreign policy libertarian this doesn't apply to is Liam McCullum. You're okay. You're the good one. Keep up all your good work, Liam. <laughs> Shout out to if, Liam. If you're one of the four listeners. Yeah, one of the four listeners. But uh, I just I just see all of like the like they 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 try to organize all these big protests and everything. It's like first of all, I'm I'm sorry, you guys you're it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your protester, your like calling your representative if you want to like have an impact on this thing you're gonna have to start real politicking you're gonna have to actually get into relevant like positions of power right because you know what i'm gonna be completely honest being in a think tank is probably way more influential than your protest is towards like affecting washington foreign policy you know what's useful for foreign policy things becoming someone like a henry kissinger because you know what, give give if you give Kissinger any credit at all, it's that he was involved. He was in there. He knew how to play the game, and you guys don't. So did if you, you want to make, did you see the picture Jeff Dice tweeted the other day of Ron Paul and him? <laughs> yep. I was like, no, that's Murray Rothbard, because <laughs> they look so similar. <laughs> no, but it's just like if you if you want to be relevant, you have to actually play the game. Your your little protests and virtue signaling. Like, yes, this stuff matters. And it's like, probably I should care more about it than I do right now. But, but if you want to actually have an impact, stop sitting on your couch being like, well, I know I'm the principled one and actually do something about it. It's an like, absolute tragedy that Lorenzo isn't here for this episode because I don't know anyone who complains about those boring protests more than Lorenzo. <laughs> So true. So true. But yeah, L Lorenzo and I have harped on this before. It's just like you people just aren't, you're just fundamentally unserious, just fundamentally unserious people. And I can't take you seriously. And it's like the same thing when I, cause like, I'm not a libertarian anymore, but when I see the, like, I still get libertarians across my feed because there's a lot of libertarians I still respect and they still interact with these people. But when you are just like, they're, they're like, these, this person is a status. It's like, who do you think you're going to convince to your ideology if you're just calling them a status? Like, you just sit on these couches of, I think I'm all principled and correct, even though my ideology allows for these atrocities, and then I'm going to go and, like, virtue signal and then call every – and act like I'm sitting on a high horse rather than on my couch tweeting angrily. And to, to be charitable to them, the one thing I will say – is if you are genuinely most motivated by foreign policy, like if that really is your motivating thing, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Because like if you do go to get involved, if you go become a lobbyist, like what you're going to out lobby Raytheon, like I, there's just the deck is so stacked against you on that one that I don't really know what foreign policy people ha or what anti-war people have as an option for them like yes the protests aren't much but i don't know that anything else they do would really have much impact I, they they are sitting on a really losing position just because of the powers that are on the other side against them honestly just give your money to antiwar.com you know what sitting congressmen and senators and presidential candidates retweet and share and read antiwar.com
Like well, give your honestly, money to that, those guys. That is something to be said, like just from a money perspective, give your money to antiwar.com or if you've got real money, buy like buy out a politician. They, they are for sale. <laughs> make, make a donation to one that, isn't good that isn't gonna get Raytheon's money. He's he's bad enough, but he's like make a donation to someone there, I guess. But yeah, otherwise, I guess yeah, donate to antiwar.com. I think it's not my motivating issue, but I've got my antiwar.com magnet from when I donated to them. Listen, all those guys are great, and I and I appreciate those people, but it's like Giving your money to them, like take that gas money that you're going to spend to go to Washington, D.C. and buy a ticket and like buy a hotel and stay in Washington, D.C. to protest and just give it to antiwar.com. Like put food on the table for Dave to camp so he can keep doing what he's doing because you know who's because like uh, Matt Gates is, is is tweeting out his articles. So is like Marjorie Taylor Greene. And it's not like these people like obviously these aren't like massive power brokers, but they're not irrelevant politicians to say the least. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Like these are these are influential people to like the populist right and they're seeing their content. So maybe just go and support those guys. Yeah, I guess that. Yeah, I can't think of anything better I would do if I were like, and not to say if I were anti-war, because I'm obviously not out here being like, yes, Lindsey Graham is right, hit Iran and hit them hard. Like, but if I were more motivated by foreign policy than I am, I like I, I can't think of any better route I would take. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, um, since DeSantis has gotten out of the race, he's actually started to be great, right? Yes. Yeah, so, he's been good again. Yeah, so real quick, we can kind of touch on uh, Greg Abbott and the state of Texas have a little bit of a, of a qualm with um, uh, with the federal government. Essentially, they were setting up barbed wire and stuff on the border and, and all that stuff. And the, the federal government wanted to k shut that down. And the state of Texas appealed. And they were like, yeah, we need we want an appeal. And so the Supreme Court gave like, well, not the Supreme Court, a lower court gave an injunction which was like, yeah, the federal government can't clip this wire right now. And then the Supreme Court was like, yeah, we're going to lift that injunction. And so the technically the federal government is allowed to place wire again, will remove the wire at the Texas border. And Greg Abbott was like, yeah, we're not going to allow Border Patrol access here so they can't take that down. And there's been a, like a little bit of a constitutional standoff since then. Yeah. I have bet against the nothing ever happens guys too many times. I think nothing's going to come of this. It's been really fun to watch though. It's first of all, it's very cool seeing, seeing yes, this map, this is exactly what it's very cool. Seeing part of what's so cool about seeing this is that at the end of the day, I don't think Montana is going to actually have to commit to any fight on the Texas border. I don't think Alaska is going to actually have to worry about losing troops over this. But what was cool about this was that the default like pressure for these governors was to support Texas. Like Republicans are ashamed. Republicans in states that did not support Texas are ashamed of their governors. And even if nothing comes of that, that's a really cool reality that it's gotten to the point where the, when the federal government says something that the Republicans are opposed to, 
they are expecting their governors to just say, no, I don't care. No. Like they, the whole nullification thing is something that they have as the default mindset ever since COVID. The Republican governors who were good were expected to keep up that same kind of attitude with this border dispute. And even when nothing comes to this, the next time something like this does happen, it again, that that being the pressure and that being the expectation of governors is a really cool thing. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's just if if you get nothing else from Joe Biden, it's that he gives red state governors the chance to have balls and like stand up to a president oh, yeah. and do their own thing. And technically, uh, I mean. Greg Abbott isn't doing anything unconstitutional by defying this. He's just laying down more wire and keeping the border patrol out. And the Supreme Court was like, yeah, the federal government, if they want, if they want to, they can go and clip the wire and everything and let, let this continue. But um, Greg Abbott's technically not doing anything wrong at all. He's not, he's not going full Jacksonian yet where he's like, yeah, screw the ruling of the Supreme Court. But, um, Essentially, he's just he gave him the middle finger and the rest of the Republican states joined with him. I mean, for the first I guess, time in his life, he took a real stand and I respect <sighs> him for it. Yeah. And then we get we get Governor DeSantis actually saying something like who who did they fire from his social media team that we're actually getting decent stuff well, from? His I, I think now? it has to be whoever his campaign advisors were like as soon as they left, we get this again. Biden is going after Texas, saying that they must remove fortifications from their border. They put wire, they put things to keep people out. Uh, Biden saying you got to take that down to let people come in illegally, which is just crazy. And I remark that if the Constitution was originally understood to mean that a state could not protect itself against an invasion, if the federal government could force a state to allow an invasion, the Constitution would have never been ratified in the first place. Texas would have never joined the Union when it did. Uh, And if you look at Federalist 46, which uh, uh, Daniel Horowitz pointed out, uh, James Madison talks about uh, situations where federal encroachment can be mitigated uh, by by state action. So you have Texas here uh, that's holding its ground. They have every- See, I'm reading cronyism by Dr. Newman right now, and I just like re- hearing the words Federalist Papers. Oh, it brings well, me pain. So I have to say my favorite thing about this is nothing that he says. It's where he is. When he was campaigning, and this shows him as soon as he drops the campaign, he's able to be good again. As soon as he stops wasting his time with a nothing campaign, um, you can see he's sitting in the car. Like, while he was campaigning, this would have been on a stage. It would have been written three times over. He's sitting in the car and noticed the news and took a video. This is sincere. He just just gets his autist moment. Yeah, people like sincerity. This is actually him sitting in a car, not running it by 15 different campaign advisors. He literally just pulled out his phone in the car and started filming. And all of a sudden he's good again. I mean, that was his campaign was awful and it just destroyed him. And the truth of the matter is Trump was so far ahead of him that even if he was doing stuff like this in the campaign, as much as I'd like to believe otherwise, he probably was going to lose no matter what. But this is what he's good at. He sees something happening, he takes action, he, re- he immediately takes a video and says, Florida stands with you, I'll figure out our legislature next, we don't have to worry about that, I run this state, we are supporting you, Texas. He did it immediately, he did it in his car, and that—that that is what Ron DeSantis was at his best, 
I hope the campaign didn't rip too much of that out of him and that we get more and more of this as he steps back into being just the governor again. Listen, all I'm saying is the Florida legislator, Slater, you can you can make DeSantis God Emperor. We can, we can make this happen. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't have any qualms with that at all. Just make I him haven't think. followed the legislature uh in a while because I just I've it's been years since I was a part of it. I'm curious where it stands because I know when I was last following it, the legislator was legislature was effectively handpicked by DeSantis. And if you went against him, you disappeared. Like it was you had to be his guy. And he just he ran the legislature, despite the fact that he was technically the executive branch. I wonder if in his campaign, he let that grip slide. I, I really haven't paid any attention to it, but I'd be curious to see that. All right. Well, yeah. So I, I think that's enough touching on just Texas and Ron DeSantis for now. Let's delve into another fun topic, which is, you know, our natural elite. We've got Baron Trump here and Baron Trump. Oh, geez. I guess I can't see that. I don't know who this Stephen guy is that I'm trying to click on through this Babylon B article, but I guess he may or may not have blocked me. I don't know. But this Stephen guy, he basically posed this picture of, um, of Baron Trump dwarfing his dad. Just well, astonishing. And the other thing about him dwarfing his dad is that his dad is 6'3". Trump is not a short dude. Yeah. To stand that tall over Donald Trump, what's Baron? Is Baron six nine? Let's find out. I'm pulling. He's six seven. Okay, well that's wild. He is six foot seven. That is insane. Holy crap, dude! I'm telling you, this family is just natural elites. Well, yeah. So the a lot of the Trump family lives near where I do in Florida, and Mar-a-Lago is not that far from me. So we see various Trumps running around. They're all huge, like they are gigantic, and they're generally in good shape. That is fantastic. <laughs> Just a picture of a younger Baron in a snow puff jacket, because the the viewers can't see this. They're walking with the caption, "Leave the libtards to me, Father." <laughs> I like that we're doing a segment on what Baron Trump looks like on an audio podcast where the viewers are just going to have to kind of hear us react to pictures. Listen, and so like they have they've superimposed Alexander the Great next to Baron Trump. Oh, my goodness. He does Sorry. have the same nose. Credit where credit is due. Whoever came up with that bit, he does have the same nose. I think he looks a little bit like Dante. He looks like the Daniel Penny guy. Like see here i don't know okay. this one doesn't look as great it's like i don't know the nose looks off here yeah a little bit <laughs> Grief. he's a, literally a capiche capuchin bur bourbon it's like yeah alexander the great or octavian good grief we're crossing the Rubicon <laughs> It's great. But in another vein, he's also our guy still. Because this is this came from a this came from a Trump rally where he's talking about Baron. With Yemen on his laptop like a child, you know? 
My young son uses laptops to have little war games, right? Like all of the kids. He's running it with... <laughs> He's playing war games on his laptop. I have to say, and I guess this is just natural of Trump. I actually really don't like what he just... He said it like making fun of his own son, the way he phrased... Like, I haven't heard the rest of that. Maybe in context, it sounds better. But it kind of sounds like he's criticizing him for playing video games. I'm like, I'm sorry, dude. It's your kid. Like, if you don't want him playing little war games, then be a father. Like, and the Trump family are actually pretty good parents. If you have any knowledge of them, they're actually not nearly as bad as people expect them to be. But like, at the end of the day, it is if you are upset with him playing a video game, then be his father. Because I know the Trumps are capable of that. They're very, it, if you look into it, they're actually pretty they're much more involved parents than any one of their celebrity status. But like the, of course he's playing video games. Like he's a child. That's good for him. Did you play any strategy games, Connor? I, I was never a video game guy and it was not because I was like some mature child who didn't need video games. It was actually quite the opposite. I was very bad at video games and I don't like things I'm bad at. So I would very rarely play them. My little brother and I have done a bajillion playthroughs of Fallout New Vegas. Oh, what's but your faction? Other than that, what's I... your faction? I uh, I normally play through as the Legion. Oh, oh no, Connor, no! I'm an NCR guy or die. No, I think whichever one is giving women the least right to vote is clearly my guy. <laughs> Fair enough. But, like, I don't know. I've always liked, like, any libertarian tendencies go out of my body, right? Because, you know, like, the go-to thing is to be like, well, yes, obviously, man. the best solution is for me to personally run New Vegas. But I've always loved the NCR and their aesthetic and their rangers and everything and the story. And I've just always gone for the NCR. Yeah, I've played through as NCR like once. In my libertarian days, I played through as Yes Man a lot. Yeah. Um, In my great man of history days, I played through as uh, Mr. House several times. <laughs> See, I was trying to play a while back on my laptop, but it just kept crashing for whatever reason because I guess the engine that runs Fallout New Vegas through Steam just doesn't like to work at all. And so I haven't been able to get back to it and play. My first playthrough was NCR. Mm, yeah. Pretty, pretty of, good default one. Like 14 years ago now, maybe 13 years ago. Jeez, I started playing it, I think, in, like, 2019, which I would have been, how old? So, I'm, 2024. 2019 was five years ago. So, I would have been 14 years old. I got it literally the Christmas it came out. So, that would have been 2010. Wow. That's pretty wild. But, yet, I, I, I love Fallout New Vegas. It's, it's one of my favorite games. Uh, my favorite companion is definitely Boone. Boone's my guy. I just yeah, love because uh, he outlines in red all of the enemies. And yeah, so so I normally get Boone and Ede. Mm, okay, I really like Rex. Rex is kind of my guy. I I used to do Rex. I I shifted to Ede like five or six playthroughs ago. Okay, yeah, it's a it's a, it's a good one, but uh, great men, right? Great yeah. man. Well, EDE, I can't hold on. I have to pull up what EDE 
Perk New Vegas. What is he? I'm pretty <laughs> sure I, it's been a while since I've done a playthrough, so I'm blanking. But I think, oh, I guess it's supposed to be pronounced Eddie. That's my bad. <laughs> oh, is it? Hmm. But See, I never a... got the. I never went and did the. I never on. I had it on Xbox three on the Xbox three sixty disc, just the regular game, and I'd play on my Xbox One. And I um, I never got any of the DLCs in that run, so I only have the DLCs on my laptop version, and it just always is crashing. So I never. So I only have the DLCs play. for four. I don't have the DLCs for New Vegas because mm. I you... bought. Or, I got New Vegas when I was thirteen and just got what I got. Whereas when four came out, I bought it myself and bought the DLC with my brother. Okay, yeah, Connor, I didn't have you for as like a as a video game guy. To I'm honest. not. Like I said, I literally ever since my brother moved to Texas, I don't play at all. I literally just when he's home for like Christmas or Thanksgiving, he and I'll crack out the old Xbox and dust it off and play some Fallout. But it's literally just something I do with my little brother. That's fair. Yeah, I really like. Um... There was this, I don't know if you ever heard this indie game. It's called Terraria. It's like a no Minecraft, idea. Never like heard a, of it. It's like a 2D Minecraft game, but it has like way more like materials, way more weapons and everything, way more classes and bosses and everything. And I just love that little indie game. And I, that's just what I would play day in and day out. Like I just did a, it was, a, it was like a, I'm bored. I want to play with my friends from back at home. And so we just booted up like a Discord call and we just all started playing fallout well, not fallout we all started playing terraria and beat the game again because why not i was covering a kindergarten class this morning for literally like five minutes they had character education and their real teacher was on the way and they were just they needed me to watch them because i had a moment of free time mm -hmm. so i was covering this kindergarten class this morning and just to kill time and distract them until their teacher got there, I was like, so you guys are learning character education. What, what's something you guys have learned in character education? And one boy raised his hand. And I was like, okay, you. And he goes, I think we played Minecraft one time. And I was like, no, I, I know your teacher. No, you didn't. That definitely never happened. But I also was just sitting there like, dear Lord, the West has fallen. I asked for character education and you told me Minecraft. <laughs> We're so back. Billions must die starting with him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, here's a here's an unrelated news that I thought was neat. Uh, Pete Betke tweeted out a LouRockwell.com article, which was originally posted on the Mises Wire, so we're already jumping through hoops here, uh, about D, D. Lorenzo basically wrote a little article about like a new Austrian renaissance, about how like the need of Austrian economics and everything and how we need to we need to bring it back essentially and um becky retweeted it with i i very rarely post articles from this site but i really do wish my former professor tom de lorenzo tremendous success in his new job at ludig at the ludig von mises institute and his effort to help cultivate as he puts it the next austrian renaissance and then he remarks on de lorenzo he was one of the best teachers i had in grad school taught me IO1, which I'm assuming is industrial organization, and then some other professor named Riley taught industrial organization too. He was a very productive scholar and a very encouraging to the graduate students, especially me, at a critical time in my career. He stressed that every paper you write should have at least three targets, journals, policy, implications for think tanks, and op-eds for newspapers. Relevance was a virtue to Tom, not a vice. So I thought that was neat getting to see 
Becky, who's like typically not a fan of the of, of the Austrian guys, kind of throw a bone towards Di Lorenzo and the Mises Institute. Well, so to be fair, to be most charitable, Becky would consider himself a fan of the Austrian guys. It'd be the well, Auburn the Auburn. I said Auburn. Auburn guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the other thing I will say, first of all, I didn't realize that that had originally been on the Mises wire. It makes it much more interesting that he threw a bone through the LouRockwell.com article. Because it'd be a lot easier for him to share the Mises Wire article because even though he doesn't, he could say the same thing. I don't generally share these guys, whatever. But the Mises Wire is a lot less unhinged than LouRockwell.com. It's a lot harder for him to share the LRC article. Although as for the relevancy being important to DiLorenzo, it's obviously more known now that he's president. But before he was president, people didn't realize DiLorenzo is one of the Mises Institute's like most published guys. He does tons of academic work. He was the first person Ron Paul ever brought to testify in front of Congress. So he, people tend to get caught up in the Lincoln of it all, which is his best work and is incredible. But because that's such a controversial topic, people think of him as being less doable to the public less less respected by your average person but this tweet just goes to show how wrong that is that he is very well published has always emphasized relevance to the point that even betkey is out here celebrating him like di lorenzo even though he's got his very radical edges that are the best parts of him he he knows what he's doing he's an awesome dude yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm only really familiar with a lot of his stuff. I want to get his and Block's book on public choice theory because I've heard that's decent. They kind of do a takedown of like public choice economics, which is, you know, funny because, you know, I don't, you don't hear a lot about Block either being an economist because like he does all of his niche philosophy yeah, ethics. Because stuff. He, became, he was an economist 50 years ago and then became the most obscure libertarian theorist ever and ran with it. <laughs> Right. I mean, he's he's a wonderful guy. I got the chance to meet him. And so he, he, he definitely talks like this. Right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you there? Yeah. No, he's a wonderful guy. Yeah. You know, sorry, the, the Walter Block impression isn't that good. But, you know, you got to kind of talk like uh, you got to talk like Patrick Newman. You know, you got to buy my book. Liberty versus <laughs> cronyism, liberty versus power in America from 1607 to 1849 and we really talk about the failed jeffersonian revolution and then the, and then the jacksonian era you know i think my i think my newman is getting good well at the uh scott Hahn event there will be a guy with the world's best newman impression so you'll have to hear it there oh yeah yeah i've seen the videos i've seen the, I've okay. seen the so i'm excited but yeah but connor what have you been up to lately since you've become you know, a, a famed podcaster, among many things. Yeah, um, I've had a lot of changes since I was last on your show. In fact, the last time I was on your show was the day I dropped out of college. Uh, we didn't mention it on the show because I hadn't told a number of people yet, and I was holding off, but I mentioned it to you and Lorenzo. So since, I, since I've last been on the show, I have dropped out of my PhD and returned to my old life as a teacher. You can see behind me, I'm still living in my trailer. So I, I brought it back with me to Florida. I've 
I'm living in Florida now and I, I've resumed my very boring old life as a teacher. Academia just wasn't quite for me. So right now I'm teaching because I showed up in the middle of a school year, I'm kind of bouncing all over the place, just filling holes mm -hmm. where necessary. Uh, the end goal though is middle and high school math. So I'm, I'm just a boring old man now. Oh, he likes math. What a guy. Can I ask why academia didn't click for you? Or is it just like a you don't want to get into it thing? Uh, there's probably an argument to be made that I wasn't cutting it. And then there's another there's another reality that I I was TAing and I was talking with the guys I TA'd for and whatnot. And I I found that the relationships with students was not because the that was always the thing I loved most about teaching, and I wanted to do it at a higher level. But it wasn't it wasn't the same at the higher level. The relationships change in a way that's you know very good for some people. You it, obviously a, a someone who's been an academic for a while will have plenty of grad students who look well up to him and they have good relationships. But like your average undergrad undergrad class that I was looking forward to teaching is a bunch of hungover, barely older than teenagers who both of you barely remember each other's name and it. If you're motivated by the subject matter, that's wonderful. And I was, I love economics, but at the end of the day, being motivated by student relationships wasn't going to get me through. And it just, there were a thousand other little things. That was the big one was just, I missed my relationships with my students and I wanted that back. But there were a thousand other little things and the truth of the matter is I just, I wasn't right for it and I, I didn't have what it took out there. Um, but Plenty of people do. I still have very good friends at Texas Tech doing their economics work. We have two good friends of the Mises Institute who have both been past summer fellows currently in the uh, Free Market Institute out there. It's a great program. I highly recommend it for people wanting to do it. I just, I, it wasn't for me. Yeah, that's fair. But um, I, I guess you get to be a teacher again. But like, why math? Why? Why? <laughs> oh, I love math. I actually, so I said this with a guy at uh, Texas Tech while I was still there. Uh, one of our, one of David and I's uh, mutual friends who was a fellow last summer and is now at Texas Tech. I was talking to him and we had some problem for our uh, microeconomics class. And we both kind of joked being the nerds we are that it was very exciting to do like three pages of math and get to the end and have that like, you get an answer and the answer makes sense, like it tracks and you did it right. That's a very exciting moment. <laughs> and then the other thing is I, uh, I always, one of my students last year signed my yearbook when I was leaving and wrote, Mr. Mortel, please stop telling people math is the language of the universe. But that's really what it is. A, math is math is interesting. It's the language of the universe. It's it's not something we invented. It's something we discovered. I really like math. I have always spoken against it in economics for human action reasons that it is not there's a place and a time for it. But I love math. So it's been a blast. I right now I have an eighth and ninth grade algebra class I work with, and it's been a blast. Yeah. I'm I'm currently taking calculus and I took a year off last year, my senior year of high school from taking a math course because I wasn't a fan of math, but now I'm taking calculus and for whatever reason, I'm kind of liking it and I f it feels wrong to say that, but like we're, we're calculating like limits, which are just the limits, just a derivative, right? At that point, right? On a, on a graph and everything. And it's just like, I can see the practical uses for these things and it just, 
it kind of clicked because I didn't get a lot of like what they would call the philosophy of math where they teach you, here's how you practically use it. Here's how you prove it is a thing. And it just honestly, it made it way more enjoyable uh, now that I'm doing it in college. And I, I'm honestly considering doing a math minor mostly because it would look good for a grad school, but also because like it's kind of enjoyable. I'm not going to lie. And if you intend to go to grad school in economics, you had better start to enjoy math. It's going to matter. Yeah. I already taught, talked with my uh, academic advisors, one of my favorite people in the world. And I was just like, you know, um, I, I'm not a big math guy. And so he's like, you know, you should take cal Obviously, I got to take calculus one with because of like you know it's a degree requirement and everything but he's like you should all take calc two and then there's also like some statistic classes i should take and like that's the kind of stuff that i'm gonna be doing and trying yeah, to get sure. get well, under my belt i was in i was not in the free market institute i was not in the agricultural and applied in economics program at texas tech i was in their just regular uh economics program but for the first couple semesters, my schedule was identical to the ag and applied econ guys who were in the free market institute. And at the end of the day, no matter what route you take or wherever you go, I know we've got friends at West Virginia who have mentioned the math heavy there. No matter where you go, no matter how friendly they are to our people who us Austrians are a little less math heavy, you are going to find yourself in a math heavy program if you stick with economics at the graduate level. Yeah, it sounds like GMU, what they do is they basically pile all the math in like the first year and then you get that over with and then you take all the other courses and then work on your on your uh, dissertation and stuff from how it sounds. But Connor, Connor, I have to ask you now, now that you're becoming you're you've rejected kind of like the economics lens now are, are is, is, is economics still fake and gay or what's your what's your stance on that? Uh, it depends on the day. Fake and gay from time to time. Definitely my rule of thumb at the Mises Institute last summer that you recall is that economics doesn't exist after 5 p.m. or on weekends. Right. Um, but uh, I mean, I don't know. I, when the Mises Institute puts out something good, I'll still read it. it the Mises.org I go to regularly because the Mises Institute is still one of the greatest organizations that's ever existed. Um, I still hope to teach an economics class for my middle or high school, maybe a couple years down the line need to get my job more solidified first, but I'd love for them to let me teach something like that. So I, you know, I'm still interested, but it's probably not going to be as vital to my career as I thought it was going to be. Gotcha. Do you think it still is like useful or do you one of those guys who is going to be, or cause I, I mean, I guess I would love, I obviously you're not, but like, I guess I'm kind of asking for your response to people who are going to be like, yeah, mathematics, like economics is useless and it's just all just theory that doesn't actually appear in the real world and all those guys. And they're like, economics is a bunk thing. It's not an actual science. Like what, it, what, how, what do you think of that? Cause like, I guess like looking in more of like the Catholic sphere of things, which I've slowly migrated into, I see a lot of that when it comes to like economic economics and everything, like they just kind of like, discard it a lot of the time which i'm not a, i'm not a fan of i think economics needs to be more divorced from ideology in order to become more respected in spheres like that the reality is everything anyone does is going to be looked at through an through a lens of ideology so that's nothing can ever be truly divorced from your ideology but what i mean is like when we when david and i say economics we mean austrian economics because that's 
the only economics David and I are ever going to be sincerely espousing. But when when all Austrian economists are libertarians, it makes it difficult to make the pitch because people understand Austrian economics as libertarianism. And as a result, it feels difficult to make the pitch as economics of a science because it is an ideology to most people. Um, I actually asked this last summer to Dr. Gordon and RGS if there was a way to use Austrian economics to push for interventionism. Like, is there a way to say these are the – we know that X, Y, and Z will cause A, B, and C. We think X, Y, and Z is worth losing A, B, and C. Can we push for interventionism making an outside of economics value judgment saying this is mm. worth it? We're going to push for it. I know exactly what you referenced, what you gave as an example. Yes, you do. <laughs> and you also know exactly his response was, I don't know don't why you would want, want to do, do that. that. But my real point at <laughs> getting it was not just my being an evil statist who wants to shut down some market or whatever. It was because if Austrian economics can't be used to make any case other than libertarianism, then it is not value-free and it has values inherent in it. And if it has values inherent in it, it's not a, it's not really the same science. Like the people who say economics is, are, is fake and gay are right. If, however, it is truly value-free, then it is a useful science that is important to understand. And the reality is, if, if you're going to throw out economics as a whole, forget the word economics, the study of human action is a real thing. To mm -hmm. understand that A will cause B and B will not cause C, but it will cause D, whatever, is important. And that study, whatever you want to call it, is very real. What's important is to divorce that just from ideology and actually make it a study and a science of human action. Okay, yeah, I think that's fair because I don't know. I just I get I get increasingly like frustrated that people kind of discard it as if it's just like some ideological drivel, as if like we're all just like propagandists who want just like. They kind of treat it like all people who are like friend friendly to free market economics and not distributism are just like all neoliberals or something. And I just well, I get increasingly frustrated with it because I do be think fair, I, I really like economics. I really do like economics and I love the study of it. That's why I'm getting a degree in it. Just from a definitional perspective, there's a way to say that people pushing free market classical liberal economics today are neo like there is a definitional argument for that so i'm not going to say those people are necessarily wrong but what i am going to say is it I, I think it is true today that the vast majority of economists not just free market economists but the vast majority of economists of any kind are just pushing ideological drivel and sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong but i actually so per per bieland was the first one i heard this from in my first Mises U, he said one of the worst things that happened to Austrian economics was that it became completely affiliated with libertarianism. And the same is true of any other school of economics is it's a completely affiliated with its ideology. 
that is something that needs to be broken free of to shut down these arguments against economics. It needs to be a true value-free study to really make that pitch. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know, man. <sighs> but yeah, so what is what is what is 2024 looking like for you? What are your plans? What are you looking forward to? Uh, it's going to be a good year for me, I hope. I uh, I'm back in Florida, greatest state in the country. I'm very happy to be back near the water. I was born and raised in Florida, and I had taken for granted how much I loved the water until I moved to the desert. Um, it is very, very nice to be back in Florida. I'm back with my – hold on. I don't mean to be looking away. I'm just trying to turn on the TCU basketball game in the background. Um, <laughs> I'm back with my old job. I'm back teaching. I – at least so far, have had absolutely no buyer's or seller's remorse, whichever side it would be. I'm very, very happy with what I'm doing, and I've had no regrets yet. I'm sure sooner or later, a kid will piss me off and make me feel otherwise, at least temporarily, but I'm very happy doing that. Um, I've got a summer break, so hopefully I'll get to travel some. I've been dating an absolutely wonderful girl. Hopefully, big things to come with her this coming year. Not going to say more than that because she listens to my podcasts and I'm not going to give away what I have coming this coming year. Well, yeah, well, that's that's yeah. good to hear, Connor. Uh, I won't take up much more of your time because we've definitely gone over an hour, 15-ish. Uh, where can the people find you and support what you're doing? Um, My Twitter is at Natural Authority, but with no Y at the end. It didn't fit in the number of spaces I was allowed. Uh, I mostly just tweet Catholic stuff these days and then TCU Horn Frogs related content. So if you're not into either of those, don't follow me because I will be obnoxious. But if you want to support me anyway, or if you like either of those things, give me a follow. I have three podcasts now because I'm not in academia and I have time. So I've got my first and foremost project, with all due respect to the other two, is my TCU's Three Wise Men with my two fraternity brothers. We review all things TCU sports, but we also, right now it's basketball season, so we also do routine picks of all the big games around the country. If you're interested in anything of the sort, there's stuff worth commenting on, just big basketball games. We're also getting into college tennis lately. If you have any interest in college tennis or if you have any thought of why would someone be interested in college tennis? That's such a weird That's thing. Question. Go check it out and you'll get your answer. Um, and then additionally, like if you're a fan of a team playing TCU in a sport coming up, we will be reviewing that game and give you keys of what to look for on both ends. Uh, so that's TCU's Three Wisemen. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. My other two, I uh, for the Thomas Reviews podcast that a mutual friend of David's and mine, White Trash Socrates on Twitter runs, I have my own sub-brand on his podcast called Trailer Park Chesterton. I am doing a monthly, I am in a Chesterton book club here in Florida, and I am doing a monthly review of whatever we talked about in our book club. It's started effectively... <clears throat> excuse me, it started effectively just as a way for me to keep notes of myself and remember what I'm thinking about. But I was sharing it on the podcast and it got a good number of viewers. So I'm going to keep it up and have my fun with that. The next episode will be coming out 
the week after Valentine's Day slash Ash Wednesday. And then last but not least, I theoretically have a podcast with David, but I have been a dead weight, so we have not been recording much. Yeah, it hasn't in existed. In theory, we've got the cradle and the convert where we will discuss various Catholic things up to and including our main project where we are going to be reading through St. Augustine's uh, Confessions. Is it Augustine or Augustine? So here's the thing. I will die on the hill that the city in northern Florida is St. Augustine, but the man the city was named after is St. Augustine. <laughs> See, I just like Augustine. It just sounds smoother. That's very Floridian of you. That is that is what our Florida city is. But yeah, that's any that's that's where it, everybody go support Connor. Connor's Connor's a great guy, and we appreciate having him as like our fill in and also just our guest sometimes. So go and show him some love. Uh, but as always, you can find me. Just look at the t- links in the description. You can find all my stuff there. It's in the, your various podcast stuff. Uh, just remember, like, share, subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends. Leave a good review. Share it with your mother. Don't share it with your mother. Your, your mother will think you're insane. Uh, all that fun stuff. Uh, we'll be back next week, as always. Hopefully with Lorenzo as well. Thank you all for listening. Any final words, Connor? Um, no, I got nothing else. I, uh, I won't share this podcast with my mother and go frogs. We got to be Texas Tech right now. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks.